0: Cause sometimes I be right Hello Welcome To the show It's been a long time Since we last Met together Since we last spoke How's everybody been? I'm feeling incredible And it feels so good to be back Back where I belong do what I do best, which is bring you the real, the honesty, the unfiltered truth, and so what we are here to do today is we are here to bust the myths, that's right, there's a lot of myths running around in sports, stupid cliches, stupid things, ideas, a lot of, a lot of misperception, Misconception, whatever, you know what I'm saying A lot of people saying things, doing things, following things that just make no sense So first off, well let's intro this thing What up Cyber Family, if this is your first time joining us, welcome This is Sometimes I Be Right, I am your host John Farris, reporting live from Trash Can Studios As always, joined by my co-host Wally, say what up Wally So as I said, we're here to be the Mythbusters. That's right. I am a Mythbuster today. So let me start off by telling you guys why I haven't been around. Well, uh, you know, life happens. And truthfully, this is like the dead time of sports, right? I do a show. This show is once a week. So the truth is. It's very hard to follow baseball and be able to report on it on this show in this format because, again, it's only once a week. So what I would basically be doing is from one show to the next would be covering five, sometimes maybe even six games. And then I have to recap a whole week's worth of baseball. And it's just just, it for me, in my mind, in my brain, it doesn't seem like it would be a very uh, entertaining show. Or topic, because again, if you follow a baseball team and you're that dedicated to it, to hear what happened on Monday, to hear that on Thursday, when you've already had something happen on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, it's like, well, what about, you know what I mean? It's just a lot to try to cram into a show. There's not a lot going on with with football. Uh, Training camps just started up a week or two ago, so that's starting to come back into the full swing. NBA was over and ended, and it was really like kind of that down period before everything ramps back up. So what started as, you know what, I'm not going to do a show this week, or you know what, I won't do a show today, not enough has happened, I'll give it another day or two, I'll do a show on a Friday. Well, that turned into life happening, I wasn't able to record on a Friday, and the next thing you know, it was like, alright, I'll just do a show next week and double it up, and whatever, whatever, then one thing led to another, and it just got to a point where I said, you know what, it's at dead time of year, I'm just going to take these few weeks off. So now, what I'm going to say is this, I don't know if this will be an every year thing or an annual thing, and I don't even know if you honestly care, or if you even noticed. But that's where I did. So maybe next year we'll do the same thing. I'll give you guys a better heads up to say, look, from this date to this date, I'm going to be out of the building. But we back now. And there's a lot to talk about. So I wanted to start with this. And I know it's two weeks ago now. But I'm doing it anyway. Terrence Crawford versus Errol Spence. You all know what happened. Errol Spence got a good old fashioned ass woman. Okay. And to be honest with you, <laughs> it was kind of sad. Like, watching it, I, I I felt bad. I was feeling bad about it. Um, but I will say this. I wish I had done a show before that. I wish I had done a YouTube video, something before that, so I could put my ideas and my thoughts down in set in stone, so you know I'm not making this up as I say it now. Day of the fight, I said, I think Terrence Crawford is going to win because when I watch Errol Spence fight, I feel like he does not have any special abilities. I feel like he's a solid fighter. He's strong, but he's not very, like, dynamic. Terrence Crawford is a dynamic fighter. He's got a lot of movements, weird angles, fights both ways. Like, he does a lot of things unique and different and a little more exciting than just Errol Spence, who's kind of come straight forward, high guard, slug to the body. You know, he was more dynamic. And so I felt like Terrence Crawford's going to win. On top of that, at the weigh-in, I said to myself, Terrence Crawford looks like a guy who wants to win. Errol Spence looks like a guy who thinks he's supposed to win. And for me, I felt like Crawford looked like someone who was going to go take it. Whereas I felt like Errol Spence looked like someone who was like, I'm going to win, right? Who just seemed like it was just going to happen for him. Now, that might not mean anything. I'm not saying it does. I'm not saying I'm a genius or a prophet or anything like that. I'm just saying that was my thought going into the fight. And what I think we saw in the fight was the truth. Terrence Crawford looked much more dynamic. And Errol Spence looked much more basic. As just a basic, he's not really that, he doesn't really have any anything special. He can't really do anything. He doesn't have any slick moves. He's like, he's going to be right here. And what his thing is, and I think the truth of what happened in that fight, I think what you saw was Errol Spence is at his best when he's able to punish a guy. Use his size, his weight, and his power to punish the opponent, break him down, and eventually just, that just it, break him down. What you saw was what happens when a guy whose M.O. is to break you down physically doesn't have the physical ability to break you down. What we saw was Errol Spence, who's been struggling with making 147 for multiple fights now, for years at this point. Again, have a hard time moving down while you had another guy in Terrence Crawford who was moving up in weight. Who probably felt stronger than he ever has before. Who probably felt physically better than he ever has before. Fighting at a higher weight class. And you saw Spence a little bit slow. A little bit. You could see his reactions weren't as quick. You could see before the fight he looked a little out of it a little dazed. Maybe he was on those Tyson gummies. I don't know. But I think you saw him look a little more lethargic and not as strong. Here's what I'm going to say, and I'm going to put it on record now. If they fight again at 154, Errol Spence is going to beat Crawford's ass. I'm going to say it right. He's going to break him down just the way you thought he was when they fought this time. If you thought Errol Spence was going to win because he was going to physically break down Terrence Crawford, that's exactly what you're going to see at 154. Because you're going to have Terrence Crawford who's going to have to gain weight to get to 154 and probably isn't going to be in his best shape. And you're going to see Errol Spence for the first time in a long time be much more comfortable and physically at a weight where he's performing at his peak. You're going to see, again, the same thing you saw in this fight. One guy who physically is where he's supposed to be to carry out his plan of attack. And another guy who's not going to be physically where he's supposed to be to carry out his plan of attack. And that's what you're going to see. He's going to beat Terrence Crawford at 154. I'm not going to guarantee. I'll guarantee it. He's going to beat Terrence Crawford at 154. And for all of you people out there who are saying Terrence Crawford's too good. He's possibly the best of all time. Is he this and that? What you saw was exactly what you were supposed to see. You saw a dynamic fighter beat up a guy who's right in front of you, who's not very dynamic, and who relies on their physical presence to overpower you, who wasn't at his physical best. I'm not making excuses. This is the fight they agreed on. I'm not surprised so much by the outcome I thought Terrence Crawford would win, I didn't think it would be as dominant, but I think we can... If you've ever seen Errol Spence fight before, and I have, and I'm sitting here telling you Errol Spence, in my opinion, is not a dynamic fighter and kind of looks pretty basic most of the times, This is I've never seen him look this bad. And I don't think it's just because Terrence Crawford was so otherworldly good because I don't think he's that either. I think sometimes, again, the myth would be Terrence Crawford showed that he's just far superior, whereas the reality is, the truth is... There was other factors involved. And when they meet at 154, it's going to be a different story. Let's keep it in combat sports and move on to Jake Paul fought Nate Diaz this past weekend. I know you didn't care. I didn't either. To be honest with you, when I saw uh, it came across my timeline for the weigh-in, I had totally forgot this fight was a thing wasn't on my mind. I wasn't thinking about it. I wasn't checking for it. I didn't even realize it was August already. <laughs> but I told you when this fight was announced that he's going to beat the dog do out of Nate Diaz. He's going to beat him up. Because Nate Diaz isn't a boxer. He's not a boxer. And if you, like... Uh, it's the reason why we all think Floyd Mayweather, as great as he is, if Floyd Mayweather had had decided to fight in MMA, he would get ragdolled by the lowest level UFC fighter. Pick anyone. Even the worst UFC fighter. Ben Askren would ragdoll Floyd Mayweather. Because when your brain and your mind and your body is focused on one concentration or one style of fighting... You don't just switch over to know another way to fight and fight that way and be good at it. It's going to take you a while. You're not going to go from fighting, even look at Conor McGregor when he fought Floyd. Did Conor McGregor look like a boxer? No. Did he do bad? No. But let's be honest. We all know. If you're a boxing fan, you know Floyd carried him for nine rounds. A lot of those early rounds, Floyd was coming with his hands up and just throwing one shot at a time, a shot to the belly, just to kind of wait him out, let him throw his punches or whatever. Floyd was never hurt in that fight. He was never affected by punches in that fight because the way you throw punches as a boxer is different from the way you throw punches when you're in the cage. It's just different. The way you move, your distance, your angle, all that is different. Nate Diaz is not a boxer. He does not box exclusively, he never has. Jake Paul, as bad as we all think he is, he's at least fighting exclusively as a boxer. That's the reality we have to accept. So that's what I knew. First time in my life, I knew Jake Paul is going to beat this dude up. No doubt about it. Now, what I don't like is during that fight, the announcers and even after that fight, the storylines being written is Jake Paul is getting better with each fight. No he's not. Jake Paul, they they said on the, on the on the broadcast Jake Paul looks better in this fight than he did his last fight against Tommy Fury. Yeah, no duh. Do you want to know why that is? Jake Paul was fighting a boxer Even a low-level boxer like Tommy Fury, who knows how to box, who knows how to move, throw punches, evade punches, do certain things, move around in the ring. That's his concentration. He's going to struggle against that guy. Because compared to Tommy, who's a boxer who's been boxing for years, Jake Paul doesn't have every advantage in that fight. Against a Nate Diaz in a boxing ring, Jake Paul has every advantage. As low level as we may think he is, he's going to beat every UFC fighter he fights. He's never going to lose to one in boxing. It's not going to happen. And that's why I said after the last fight, he had a choice to make. Continue to fight real boxers and improve as a boxer and earn respect going through the ranks or go back to fighting retired MMA guys winning a bunch of fights and being a sideshow. But either way, we don't respect you in the boxing world because you've shown that you're not a boxer. Because Errol Spence is not going back to the drawing board and going to call a Nick Diaz to fight. He's going to go right back to fighting high level boxers because he's a boxer. He's not, it, 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 that's, all, that's all I'm saying. Jake Paul's not getting better as a boxer. Well, he is, obviously. If you keep boxing, you're going to get better. Jake Paul is no closer. He said after the fight, he wanted to fight Canelo. Canelo will beat the dog do out of Jake Paul whenever they fight. I don't care when they fight. I don't care how old Canelo is when they fight. He's going to beat the dog do out of Jake Paul. You want to know how I know? Because right now, Floyd Mayweather will beat the dog do out of Jake Paul. Jake Paul is not beating any top boxer. It's not going to happen. When he goes against a boxer, he looks like what he is. A young fighter who isn't quite there yet. There's nothing wrong with that. I have no problem with that. I think that's great. Awesome. Continue to get better. But stop having these sideshows and you putting up your money or padding your stats. Because guess what? All the tomato cans Tommy Fury fought, I guarantee you those guys will give Jake Paul a better fight than what Nate Diaz did. Nate Diaz is just a bigger name. So what Jake Paul knows is I can fight these real boxers and continue to improve my skills. But if I fight these retired MMA guys with a big name, I can do that and then still make more money. Which, great, if you're only in it for the money, then fine. Then stop calling out the likes of Canelo. You're nowhere near that level. You don't deserve that shot. And Canelo's not giving you that fight simply because you're popular and you could get him money. Because David Benavidez offered him $50 million. And there's one thing I can guarantee you. Jake Paul can't guarantee Canelo 50000000 million. Let's move on out of combat sports. Let's move on to football, man. Football is back, officially. Here's what I want to start with. Here's what I want to start with. I want to start by saying, well, first off, you know what? Before we get into football, I want to take a broad a broad take on something. I'm done with the GOAT conversation. There can no longer be a GOAT. There is no greatest of all time in any sport. There is none. Okay, there is none. I'm done with it. Conversation over. If you are still going to debate who's better, Jordan or LeBron, you're a fool. I'm done with it. It does not matter who's better. And I'll tell you why. It is impossible to say that a, a, a basketball player from the 1940s is better than an NBA player right now. I don't know. What Jerry West would have been able to do against the likes of John Morant, Steph Curry, or Allen Iverson, or even a B.J. Armstrong. I have no idea. I don't know how good Larry Bird would be playing in today's NBA. I don't know. I don't know if Wilt Chamberlain would still dominate in today's NBA. I have no idea. You know what I do know? I know that NBA guys are bigger, faster, stronger, they have better workout facilities, better gyms, they have better trainers, they have much more a much better grasp of nutrition and they take care of themselves far better than they ever did in the history of the NBA. You know what else I know? You can no longer say who's the greatest quarterback of all time. You can't say it. I can't say that Patrick Mahomes is possibly the greatest quarterback of all time when he plays in an era where every single rule change in the past 25 years has been in favor of the quarterback. They've made it easier for the quarterback because they want to get points in the game because they want to have the offenses be better. Patrick Mahomes is not dicing up the 2000 Ravens. Sorry. He's not dicing up the 85 Bears. Sorry. At a time where his receivers could have got their head knocked off, he's probably not putting up the same numbers. The windows probably aren't as open. A time where the linebacker could come in and knock his head off from the blind side late. You think LT's not taking shots on Mahomes? I don't know if Mahomes can stand up to that. It's different eras. The game is different. The requirements are different. The competition's different. Everything's different. We can't compare them anymore. It's over. We have to put it into decade slot, slots. Who's the greatest basketball player of the 80s? Who's the greatest of the 90s from 2000 to 2010, from 2010 to 2020? That's the way we have to do it now. Do it by decades. Because there's no question Mark, Michael Jordan was the greatest player in the 90s. But in the 2000s, was Michael Jordan the greatest basketball player? No probably not 2010 to 2020 now like LeBron probably was but now 2020 to 2030 it might be Giannis Giannis I said Giannis <laughs> might be Giannis, might be Joker. Joker I don't know but it's gonna be somebody different we all acknowledge that LeBron's no longer the best player in the NBA correct all right there's no problem with that if you judge it by 10-year blocks you're good do the same thing in the NFL who was the best player for these 10 years and then you have your GOATs boom, 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 like this. Because saying that, like saying that Patrick Mahomes is better than, than Joe Montana or Dan Marino or John Elway is crazy. They played in two different games. It is not the same game. And I know for a fact that John Elway playing with these rules. Psh, put up just as good a numbers as Patrick Mahomes. I don't know if Patrick Mahomes dealing with those defenses, with those rules, where the defenders have free passes in the way that they don't have now. I don't know if he puts up those same numbers back then. But that doesn't discredit what he's doing now. What he's doing now in this era, in this game, with these rules needs to be commended and respected. And it doesn't matter if he could have done it back then. Therefore, why do we have to anoint him as the greatest of all time, better than anybody who's ever done it? I don't think he is. I don't think he should be. I think it's stupid. So that's number one. I'm done with that. But with that being said, we need to stop judging quarterbacks by wins and losses. It's a stupid metric to judge a quarterback on. Don't believe me? I'm going to give you two examples. Okay? I'm going to give you two examples. Because my point is, because you lose a game does not mean it was on the quarterback. And because you win a game, doesn't mean it was on the quarterback. It does not mean that. There's a lot that happens in a game that's not necessarily the quarterback's fault. A lot of things transpired. It is a team game. The team wins and loses. The quarterback should be judged on his performance in that game, win or loss. And this is one of the myths that I want to bust, that quarterbacks are responsible for wins and losses. They're not. They are a piece of the puzzle. I never come in here. You've never heard me come in here and praise a guy for wins and losses. I might use a guy's record in his resume or I might question a guy's resume based on this stuff on a multitude of factors. I never think a guy is great because of wins and losses. I know that I don't feel that way because I think Tony Romo is unfairly maligned because you guys give him his playoff record. Like, bro, it ain't his fault that they lost some of those games. So let me give you my two examples. There was a quarterback who went 9-for-21, 9-for-21, 123 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions in a Super Bowl. His team won that game. On his resume, he has a Super Bowl title. And in that game they won, he went 9-for-21, 123 yards and two touchdowns. That player, my friends, was Ben Roethlisberger playing for the Pittsburgh Steelers against the Seattle Seahawks in the Super Bowl. 9 for 21. That's awful. That's terrible. They won the game. Should he get credit as being like, "Oh, he's a he's a Super Bowl champ. He won." Look at look at look at if when you look at his resume, if you just go wins and losses, you can win a game like that, and it wouldn't count for nothing. It wouldn't matter what he did in the game; they won. So for him, he gets the credit for the win, even though he clearly didn't help them win. They were probably struggling. That game would have been a lot easier if he wasn't being so terrible. Now I'm gonna tell you another game. This quarterback went 28 for 48, 505 passing yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions they lost 28 of 48 505 yards and three touchdowns they lost that was tom brady in the super bowl versus the eagles on his resume he lost he's got an l even though you can clearly see he was not the reason they lost that game but he's got to take the, the responsibility for it. It's his, he's got to put that on his resume. We don't judge running backs on wins and losses. We don't judge a defensive player on their record. Why do we look at the quarter? The only person that should be judged for wins and losses is coaches. Because coaches are picking the players, putting the guys in position, creating the depth chart, seeing who plays, who doesn't, making substitutions, actually controlling the flow of a game. The quarterback should stop getting credit for wins and losses. That should no longer be a metric that we judge a quarterback for. There have been plenty of really good quarterbacks that didn't win a bunch of games because their team was bad. And there's a lot of really bad quarterbacks that were on winning teams. And that brings me to my next gripe. Which is, if I say that, oh, it's I'll use a real example. Lamar Jackson, for years, people have questioned his ability to throw from the pocket. The supporters of Lamar Jackson will say, because look at his supporting cast. Look at who he has to throw to. Fair. If you're going to give him a pass because he doesn't have great weapons around him, then when he gets great weapons around him, And he puts up ridiculous numbers. How can you give him the credit? When he didn't have the weapons, he didn't produce. When you brought in great weapons, he produced. Shouldn't the weapons get the credit? If your knock on Tom Brady was Tom Brady's not really a throwing, he's not really that kind of quarterback, he can't put up big numbers. You get Randy Moss, he sets the touchdown record. Doesn't Randy Moss get that credit? Because before me, you wasn't reaching his height. With me, you reached it. I leave, you not reaching his height. Shouldn't Randy Moss get the credit? I'm just saying, am I off? How can you give a guy a pass for when he doesn't have great weapons, but give him all the credit when he has great weapons and he's doing well? That just proves that you needed those weapons in order for him to do well. If Dak Prescott stinks up the joint because he doesn't have a true number one, when you bring in Amari Cooper and Dak Prescott looks like a solid quarterback now, Amari Cooper gets the credit because when he came, that's when you started to look better. But you only look better because you got that guy. That guy doesn't look better because of you. He's making you. You're not making him. I rest my case. Something else that is currently going on in the sports landscape that is blowing my mind is every time I turn around, I'm hearing somebody excited about Anthony Richardson. Now, look, I don't know if Anthony Richardson is going to be good or if he's going to be bad. If you're asking me, I wouldn't have touched him with a 10-foot pole. I wanted no parts of Anthony Richardson. I'll be blunt, brutally honest with you. I didn't want no parts. I was not in on Richardson at all. I said to myself straight up, "Uh, I'm not touching that guy. Nah, no thanks. Too many, too many red flags. Like Too many like, physically, undeniable. The guy throws the ball like crazy, great speed, great size, all that. But when I look at his numbers, when I look at his play, I just he just seems like he's one of those guys that has all the talent in the world. But we'll probably never put it all together. If I was a betting man, I don't think it's going to work out. But that's just me. I'm not saying I'm right. That's just my thought. But what's really starting to throw me off is... Anthony Richardson is Justin Fields. Everything you're excited about Anthony Richardson for is exactly what Justin Fields is. Follow me. You love the size of Anthony Richardson. Oh, he's a great size. He's 6'4", 244. Justin Fields is 6'3", 228. He's a big kid too they're They're damn near the same size. He's got some pounds on fields, sure, and he's a little more cut than fields. But as far as size, they're both really good sized kids. You're excited about Anthony Richardson's speed and explosiveness. He had a four four forty. Justin Fields had a four four three. No, no, no. I don't think you heard me. I don't think you understood me. Anthony Richardson ran 4.44 at the combine. Official 40-yard dash. Justin Fields ran 4.43. He's literally .01 seconds slower than Anthony. .01. That means if they were in a race, you could not tell me with the naked eye who won that race. And you're excited about Anthony Richardson because, oh, look at the size and the speed. Justin Fields, size and speed. Oh, look at his arm. Justin Fields has a, cr- a tremendous arm. Justin Fields, go to his pro day. Pull up his pro day and tell me that kid don't look like he got just as good an arm as Anthony Richardson. You know what the difference is? Justin Fields in college put up impressive passing numbers. Anthony Richardson didn't. Justin Fields coming out, the only question mark was, him coming from Ohio State, similar to C.J. Stroud. People were questioning, ah, is he, is he, I don't know, I don't know, is he, I don't know. But the same things you're excited about, Anthony Richardson. I've heard someone say you don't even need to pay Taylor to come back at running back because you have Anthony Richardson who can, who's going to get a bulk of the carries anyway. What? All I heard was that, oh, you can't win if Justin Fields is your best running back. And now you're praising the fact that with Anthony Richardson, the coach don't have to sign a running back or bring the running back back. They can let him sit out if he wants to because they got Anthony Richardson to run the ball. This is what I don't understand. You have two guys. You have, you have Justin Fields, who most people are down on. Most people feel like, ah, eh, he could run, but like yes, he's kind of terrible. If you ask anybody, hey, is, is, is Justin Fields really good? Is he a top quarterback? They would say, no, absolutely not. He's terrible. But Anthony Richardson, everyone's excited about. But all indications are he's probably at best right now. What you can hope from his rookie year right now is that you'll get what Justin Fields is able to do. And people would be happy with that. People would be happy with that. if he had If he went out and had the same season that Justin Fields had last year, people would be excited about him in in, in Indy. And around the sports world, everyone would be excited about him. And I'm saying, but then why are you not excited about Justin Fields and what he could possibly do? And again, look at the weapons he had around him. And now he's got some weapons in there. He's got some players in there. And nobody's talking about the excitement for Justin Fields. Because we already know he could run. We already know he could play quarterback a little bit because, believe it or not, he threw more touchdown passes last year than Daniel Jones. And, and, and everybody loves Daniel Jones. Yes, I'm taking shots. <laughs> but he threw more touchdown passes last year than Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones just got $40 million a year. And he's a far better runner than Daniel Jones. Don't even debate me. So the fact that you're not excited about Justin Fields, but you're excited about Anthony Richardson doesn't make sense to me. Are you just excited about it because you haven't seen it yet? And you've seen Justin Fields, so you feel like, you yeah, I've already seen it, so I'm excited. Like, what is it? Somebody tell me. Somebody explain it to me. I don't know. I don't know. It's just annoying. I realize that this episode is really me airing my grievances. This is me taking, like, four weeks of... Built up energy and anger and just unloading it on you guys. I appreciate you guys being here for this this vent session. <laughs> Rant man is back, baby. What I wanna what I wanna transition to uh is Patrick Mahomes man is getting a lot of love and a lot of praise this offseason. And to be honest with you, I'm not mad at uh, at times last year, man, I was trying to hate Mahomes and say Mahomes ain't that great because I personally would take Joe Burrow over Patrick Mahomes any time you ask, in any situation, I'm taking Joe Burrow over Mahomes. That's just my preference. I just, I just love Joe Burrow, always have. But I'm not, I'm not hating no more, man. I, I'm not, I'm no longer in the business of hating because I'm no longer emotionally invested to what somebody else is doing like you know what i mean like I've, after last year was like i think like a really big year for me in terms of really this podcast and now the youtube channel really becoming like a a, a central point for me where i'm able to like i don't want to say lose my fandom but get away from being so much of a fan and because you know fans could be fans are haters bro like giants fans don't want to give cowboys players credit for anything they will knock them every chance they get because you're a fan so your ability to be objective is tainted because you have such a love and an emotional connection to your team that you kind of will you know favor certain things and play favorites and it's fine it's natural I, i have done the same thing okay but with this because i have to be much more objective on this and and validate every argument that i make by presenting you something it requires me to think about it deeper which takes away that i'm just going to hate. And when i'm hating, I'm gonna tell you, I'm just hating. Like i can make a case against Daniel Jones and i have plenty of times before, but in some cases i just want to hate. And that's fine but Patrick Mahomes was one of those guys that was was always praised for being so good that it caused me just to hate and want to go against the narrative. But when I did the uh the the first cyber quarterback rankings which this year will be coming back for the second annual cyber QB rankings, I swore in that I was going to be completely objective. I was going to have a five um a five part um grading system where I was going to grade you on the five things that I feel are most important as as a quarterback and I was going to watch the film and I was going to grade each one on each thing, not pay attention to name, not think about who was graded where, not have a ranking. I was just going to write it all down next to every guy's name and then go back and tally it up and see where they came with. And some of the guys ended up higher than I I would have put them before I, I watched it. A lot of guys, some guys graded lower than I would want them to. And I wanted to move them up the list. But I said, nope, got to be objective. And that caused me to really give respect to Mahomes. That's That's a long story, but that's all to say. Patrick Mahomes, in my opinion, is being credited with winning a Super Bowl when he's had bad defenses. (sighs) Here's why it bothers me. Because again, we are pretending as a sports world like we don't understand what's happening in the world. Patrick Mahomes is able to win with a less-than-great defense because all of the rules in the sport are geared to favor the offense. Therefore, in 2023 and beyond, an offensive team who with their offense is their best side of the ball will fare better because they don't have to have a great defense because their offense is going to overcome. And not only that, but it is damn near impossible to have a great defense. It is so hard. And to prove my point. The Chiefs last year were ranked number 16 in points per game. They gave up 22 points a game. Do you want to know the difference between them at 22 points a game and number 16 and the number one team in the league? Six points. That's the difference. Six points. If they gave up one touchdown less every game, they would have been the number one team in the NFL in points per game. Now, you might think, "Yo, yeah, it's not a big deal. The difference between the greatest defense in the league And the Chiefs was six points. That's not a large margin. They were one point from being a top 10 scoring defense in the NFL. One point. There's not a lot of difference there. The difference between a top 10 defense and the 16th ranked defense is one point. The difference between the number 10 defense and the number one defense in points per game is five points. Guys, there's a lot of people in between there that are right around the same. The point is you could be middle of the road and be very close to number one. They were number 11 in yards per game. The difference between number 11 and number one was 28 yards a game. two passes is what kept is what kept the chiefs away from being number 1 in yards per game the point is defenses now because of the rules are very close to the same like it's you're very like it's you have the difference between middle of the road and top of the league is very close now when you get to the bottom of the league there are some guys that are really bad But even then, the difference between 16 and 30 is like, it's not that far either. Everyone's within the same range. It's not like the number one team is giving up 16 points and the last team is giving up 35. It's not that big of a difference. The game is geared in a certain way that your defense is probably, if you're middle of the road, that's really good. Because again, like I showed you, six points from being number one. That's two field goals. That's one touchdown. That's the difference between being number 1 and being number 16. So the truth is is middle of the road is all you need to be on defense in nowadays football in order to win championships. So when people say Mahomes is winning with a bad defense, duh, everybody who wins now is probably going to have a defense pretty close to whatever the Chiefs were. Remember these numbers. Because that's where most teams are going to be, right in that middle area. If you're able to win a championship, you're probably going to be in that middle area. Even if you're the top, like the 49ers were the number one team. You were six points better than everybody. That's not a crazy number. That's not staggering. That's like one bad game. I just think it's crazy for people to make these outrageous like declarations of, law. Well, it's impressive what he's able to do with even a bad defense. Like, how is it possible? Everybody's playing with a defense who's right around the same. All the top teams are right around the same. They are. Say what you want. Feel what you want. Think what you want. Do whatever you want. The truth is the truth. Everyone's right around the same time. The same time level because the rules are so in favor of the offense that to have a great defense is damn near impossible and so all the defenses fall into an area of pretty good look the cowboys were like a top five defense does anyone watch them and think like oh this is they're so great they're any did anyone think they were near the 49ers no but when you look at it like yeah they kind of are Did anyone look at the Cowboys and think they're so much better than the Chiefs? Like, no. Because the Chiefs' offense is so good and so well put together. And the league is so in favor of offensive teams and offensive players. That your defense just needs to be kind of middle of the road. Make one or two stops a game in a big spot. And that's it. We can can get by. That's all I'm saying. As a matter of fact to prove my to prove my point further, let me pull this up. Let me pull this up because I I can as weird as it is, I can hear you guys disagreeing with me. <laughs> I can hear it. I can hear it. And I and I just want to say, okay. I just want to say. That when I pull up the, let's pull up the defensive stats and let's go over to points per game cuz in my opinion that's the one that really matters. So the difference between the worst scoring defense in the league, which was the Bears, at 27 points a game, and the best was 11 points. Now, I know in football that's a lot, but look at these numbers. Okay, so between 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Between 5 and 12. 12. It was 20.1, 20.1, 20.2, 20.2, 20.3, 20.4, 20.4, 20.6. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight teams in the NFL gave up 20 points a game. Eight. Eight. So the difference between the number one and the number 14 was four points. Guys, look, the Chargers gave up 23. Chiefs gave up 22. Tennessee, 21. Denver, 21. Tampa Bay, 21. Cleveland, 22. Rams, 23. Atlanta, 23. Like, literally. Once you get past San Francisco, Buffalo, Baltimore, and the Jets, who San Francisco's number one at 16, Buffalo is number two at 18... Baltimore is number three at 19. Jets also have 19. And then you get into a whole bunch of 20s. And then a bunch of 21s. And then a bunch of 22s. Like, it's crazy. Everyone is kind of close. That's what I'm saying. Everyone's kind of close. It's, look, even yards per game. Right? Hold on. Even yards per game, every team's giving up 300 yards a game. But when you look at the worst team as far as yards per game is Detroit at 392. And the best team is 300. Dude, that's 92 yards difference. Which means most teams are going to be between 310 and 350. That's what I'm saying. Like Patrick Mahomes is able to win a championship because your defense doesn't have to be elite. There are no elite defenses. There's usually every year there's about one that you're like, okay, they're different. And that this year was the 49ers, 100%. But they didn't win. Why? Because they didn't have the offense to match. Right? And you can say, Brock Purdy got hurt, man. Yeah. Yeah, he did. And they didn't have the offense to match. Just the point still, still stands. Regardless of how you want to classify it, as always, because it doesn't matter. They just didn't have the offense to withstand. The Chiefs had a defense who was not far from the 49ers, is what my point is. Because once you got past the 49ers, they're all kind of the same for a while. You get to your really bad ones. But if your really bad one is 11 points worse than your your best one, that's not enough of a disparity for me to say that, like, how is it possible that you won with a middle-of-the-road defense? That's what most of them are. So most of them are. So we need to... We, I'm not trying to discredit him. I'm just trying to say don't use an old idea of you need to have a great defense because defense wins championships. When nowadays in today's football, you better have a really good offense and then a solid defense. So much so that teams are now building themselves like the Chiefs to have a great offense and a solid defense and you can win a title. That is the new blueprint. So stop using old 1990s, 2001 logic to validate guys now. This all goes back to the original thesis of we can no longer talk about the greatest of all time. And the only reason why you bring up Mahomes winning a championship with no defense is because you want to use that old model to say he is the greatest of all time. Because when so-and-so won, his defense was top 10. And when this guy won, his defense was top 10. This guy is winning with a defense who's not in the top 10. it's like, that doesn't matter, though. In today's football, that doesn't matter. In today's football, you don't have to be top 10 in defense to win a title. You don't. In fact, being top 10, like most people probably couldn't tell you the top 10 in defense. And when you look at the numbers, the top 10 in defense, I just laid out to you eight guys right in the middle of that top 10 rankings. Same points per game. Separated by .1. 20.1, 20.2, 20.3, 20.4. That's the difference. So you're all giving up 20 points a game. So let's stop using old logic to try to justify calling someone the greatest of all time. Let's just enjoy the decade. And every 10 years, we can sit down and have a debate over who was the best player of the last 10 years. And that's all we got to do. Is Randy Moss greater than Jerry Rice? I don't know. I don't know. Is Megatron better than Randy Moss? I don't know. Is the next guy who comes in the year 2045 going to be better than Randy Moss? Probably. He's going to be a better athlete. DK Metcalf is a better athlete than Jerry Rice. Is he a better receiver? Probably not. But is he the best of the last 10 years? He might end up being it. That's what I'm saying. Like, you can't compare. LeBron James, 6'9", 260, is playing power forward in the 80s. He's not running around like a guard. And don't tell me Magic did it. Yeah, and they didn't want him to. A lot of people thought he should be moved. A lot of people thought he was too big to be a point guard. See what I'm saying? Stop it. Some people think Larry Larry Bird couldn't play today because he's white. (laughs) Man, things change, bro. Things change. There was a time period where European players in the NBA were considered soft and would never be good. And now everyone's debating on if the greatest player in the NBA right now is a foreign-born player. Things change, man. These guys, these athletes are getting far better and with the training and the analytics. And, like, I saw something Virginia, University of Virginia has, like, uh, I think it's I think it's the balls that they practice with have like chips in them where they can go on the computer after practice and and track their shot trajectory. And they use that science of here's the angles and all the stuff you got to do to make their shots better. They didn't have that in the 60s and 70s and 80s even the 90s. They didn't have that. Your only way to get better was to go out there and play more. Nowadays like man the the, the specialized training and all this stuff, bro, it's ridiculous. So we're done with the goats. We're done with giving quarterbacks credits for wins and losses. We're done praising quarterbacks for winning games with a bad defense. We're no longer going to be excited about Anthony Richardson and not be excited about Justin Fields, or if we're not excited about Justin Fields, then we shouldn't be excited about Anthony Richardson. Uh Justin Fields threw more touchdowns than Daniel Jones. <laughs> Uh, Oh, you know what the last thing I wanted to talk about is actually before I get out of here, let me bring this up because it's been a hot button for like the past couple weeks. Running backs are mad that they're not getting value. Number one, let me put on my regular person. I live in the real world. I'm not of that class perspective. Number one, if you're making $2 million a year, man, you've made it. There's not a kid in America right now that if I said to you, hey, what do you want to do for a living? He said, man, I want to I want to be a prof- I want to play in the NFL. If you told that kid you can get your dream of playing in the NFL and you're going to get paid $2 million, would you take it? Every kid's going to say absolutely. Why? Because you're getting paid $2 million to do something you would do for free. Like you're doing something you love to do. And if you don't love it. And you're only doing it for the money. Then I don't want to pay you. Because the people who do it for the love. And invest the time. Those are the guys who are great. And the players who get paid. Are the great players. There's never been a great player. Who didn't love the sport he was playing. And didn't invest extra. See that's what keeps getting missed. So now. I understand if you're in the NFL, the name of the game is to get paid. If I'm going to play football, I want to get paid the most I can get. A running back complaining about we're not valued because they're not paying you an exorbitant amount of money. Dude, if you made five, every team, every team, Austin Eckler could get $5 million a year yesterday. If he was asking for 5 million dollars a year, do you know what people have to do in everyday life? You know what jobs they have to do to be able to make 5 million a year. The idea that you're going to get 5 million a year to play a sport that you love. To play that's your job to wake up in the morning and go play football. Like, let's let's take a step back from all this. This is professional sports. Let's take a step back and break it down to its bare bones. You are a football player. Your job is to play football. If you're a running back and you want $22 million a year and they're saying no. I can go sign a guy off the street or get a guy in college. I can draft the player in the seventh round, pay him $675,000. He's going to come out here and produce for me. I'll do that. Because let's face it. Let's face it. The best, Isaiah Pacheco in the Chiefs last year wasn't great. He's not great. Like, he's not a great running back. He may end up being great short. Was he a spark? He was young, he was ambitious. He was drafted late. Was he drafted, what, 6th, 7th round? He was drafted late. He came and he had to earn his spot. He's trying to make an impression. He's got a lot more, he's not worried about the business of football. He's out there trying to ball out and prove his worth to eventually get that contract. But if you're a running back, you need to understand, once you get to a certain age and once you put in a certain amount of work, your value goes down. Because you're asking me to pay you for what you did for me. And I'm asking you, I'm going to pay you for what I think you're going to do for me. Because they already paid you. What running backs should be fighting for is for the rookie wage scale to be changed. Bijan Robinson trying to hold out now for more money has way more leverage than Jonathan Taylor does. Because Bijan doesn't have the wear and tear on his body that Taylor does. You understand what I'm saying? So the t- the Colts are like, "Yo, we could if we pay you twenty million dollars a year, you might only be good for two more." We ain't got our quarterback figured out. You want me to give you twenty million? Saquon money he wants. Like, bro, just take eight, take nine, seven, five. You gonna get more money in endorsements anyway. Like, you not struggling to live off five million a year. If you want, listen, if a running back wanted a guaranteed contract, give me five years at $5 million, fully guaranteed $25 mil. there's not a person in America that wouldn't take $25 million guaranteed dollars. Even if you got hurt, you are an NFL player. You probably are going to sign some endorsement deals. You can sign an equipment deal. You can sign a deal to be a sponsor for something. You're going to be able to go on to the sports media after this. You could start a podcast after this. You could start a YouTube channel after this to build some revenue. You can sell merch. You can go back to your high school and get a job. You can go to your college and get a job. You can get into coaching. There's a million avenues of revenue you can generate if you were an NFL player. And if you let me ask you a question, how much money was Emmett Smith making a year? Who knows? Does anyone know? Do you know how much was Barry Sanders getting paid per year? Do you know? No, we don't know. I have no idea. Nobody knows. But if Barry Sanders was going to come to your high school for a talk, you would pay him some money. If Barry Sanders wanted to go do something, he could get some money to do something. If Barry Sanders said, I'm going to start a podcast and tell you all types of crazy stories about being a running back in college and the NFL and all this other stuff, he he would get some money for that. We would tune in. So don't make it seem like the market or, or you're being disrespected, your value, the greatest running backs in the league are getting paid. The other guys are not. Because the running back position, by its nature, you don't have a long shelf life. Look at Zeke. There's no better case than Ezekiel Elliott. He was great for about three, four years. And they ran him into the ground. And then he got to a point where physically, because this is nature, your body breaks down. You lose a step. You're no longer a 4'4 guy. Now you're a 4'6. And now that you're 4'6 and you're a little banged up because you can't take the hits like you used to. Now your body's more sore when you get up. Oh, you're 30 now. You've been playing running back in the NFL for the last seven years, bro. You can't do it no more. And in the NFL, that is accelerating. When I turned 30, I started feeling aches and bruises. And I'm I'm not a professional athlete. I'm not even an amateur athlete. I'm not even an athlete. I felt the bumps and bruises. So if you're an NFL running back at 21 years old, you're coming into the NFL. You play for five years. Yeah, you're not the same. And you now want me to pay you for the next five years. Bro, by the time you get to year eight, nine, your production, you're going to go from averaging 5.2 yards a carry to averaging 3.7 like Zeke. And at that point, I have this young backup like Tony Pollard who's averaging six. Am I going to keep paying you $19 million to come get 3.8 yards a game? Or can I bring this guy up who's making $650,000? Can I bring him up and he can start running and be better than you because he's got more energy and explosiveness because he's not as beat up as you are? What would you do? Ask some of these running backs. What would you pay a guy? If you had to take money out of your pocket and give to a player, are you paying him whatever he wants just because? Or are you going to say, look, I can't do that because I got to spread the pot? You, of all positions, are expendable because we can go get another runner. He might not be as good as you, but I don't need him to be as good as you because, again, you're, if I'm not winning a Super Bowl with you, I can not win a Super Bowl without you. So why am I going to pay you all this money to not get to a Super Bowl when I could bring another guy in to be productive and have the same chance of winning a Super Bowl? I just keep this, I get to save 18 million dollars a year. It's a no-brainer. It's not disrespect. It's not disrespect. There is a market for you. The market just isn't elevating the way quarterbacks are because the game is not set towards you because there's not a million guys, there's not 30 guys coming out of college every year that can play quarterback in the NFL. It's not happening. You could find 30 guys and watch film on 30 guys coming out of college that you say, I would draft that guy. I think he could play in the NFL. He's got something to him. Because what you're required to do is so different. There's a lot of guys that play receiver who are going to get a chance in the NFL. Unless you're one of those top, top guys and it's a no-brainer like a Garrett Wilson. Like There's a lot of guys who come in every year. There's more guys on the depth chart. You're going to keep five or six receivers on your depth chart. Two or three on the practice squad. There's a lot more positions. As a running back, we don't need that many. We're not running the ball as much. The game favors the quarterback. Therefore, we're going to invest in the quarterback. The running back is an aid to the quarterback, but some quarterbacks, because of the rules, we don't really need you to be great. The Chiefs will never need a great running game. They don't. Their running game is going to work because you can't guard and stack up against the running game because you have to stack up against the pass because of that quarterback. And so the running back is going to benefit from a light box. If we get a hat on a hat and we block it solid, we got a young guy who can run through these holes that are going to be wide open. That's the game, my friends. You guys got to adjust. And eventually, most things do come around in cycles. There will be another age of the running back and you'll get your money. But let's not pretend like getting $5 million a year guaranteed is something to poo-poo about. It's not. You're playing football, man. And if you don't want to do that job for that pay, then don't get into that career. Because there's a lot of people in college right now who who will play in the NFL. There's a lot of running backs on the street that didn't get drafted this past year that will go to an NFL team and play running back for $5 million. And that's the point. You can demand whatever you want. You can want whatever you want. But as long as I have a million guys who are willing to do it for less, I'm going I'm to go that route. Your value is not there because there's too many guys that can do what you can do. And when we find out that you are special, like a Christian McCaffrey, we are going to pay you as such. But if you're a great runner like Josh Jacobs, I can find and I don't need a great runner we didn't the Raiders weren't doing anything with Jacobs. Why are they going to pay him? Why am I going to pay you top dollar? You didn't help us win. I'll save my money and get a young guy and see if he can do some good cause again, you don't need great that's my time y'all look i appreciate y'all coming through again i apologize for the lengthy uh hiatus uh and not so much for the hiatus but much more for not informing you that there was an actual hiatus and i didn't just quit i'm not quitting this thing i I love doing this i love venting and going in on about sports i love sharing the real with you guys and being the balance to the sports media nonsense you hear all the time I thank you all for your time, for your patience. Uh, follow me on all social media platforms at cyber underscore pod. That's S-I-B-R underscore P-O-D. Um, next week, I will have some news. I will have the official release dates for the cyber quarterback rankings. That is right. We are doing it once again. We are going to be ranking every starting quarterback in the NFL. We're going to be going off rejected starters uh because obviously nothing is set in stone but we pretty much know who's going to start where there are some quarterback battles like in sam i'll explain all that in, 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 when i get into the schedule i will be releasing it in blocks i won't do it all at once uh i'll do it in, in little blocks so it gives you a chance to really digest each you know block so it'll be 10 10 and 10 and then you can digest those ten, and we can really zone in on the top ten because that's what most of you care about. Anyway, uh, I'm gonna tell you right now, I'm expecting Daniel Jones to be really low. But again, I'm not being biased when I when I put together this list. I, I look at this, I look at the uh, the film, and I judge them on what they're able to do, not what I think they're able to do. So non-biased ranking, the only one you ever gonna see. Uh, Again, man, um, check out the YouTube channel. It's uh, I'm just under Cyber. Uh, I'm under Cyber Network on every on everything. So go to so go to YouTube. Cyber Network, S-I-B-R Network, and you'll find me on there. Some exclusive content. We will be having some exclusive videos on there, and we will be doing the video release of the top ten, top uh, quarterback rankings this year as well. But, again, I'll get more into details with that next week when I give you guys the official release schedule. But I'm already working on it. It's pretty exciting. I can't wait. I'll see you guys next week. God bless. Enjoy. Uh, make sure you come back because uh, I'm back in the building. You know what I'm saying?